Hello, this is the Real Politik podcast, and thank you for coming again. And my this episode will be, I'll, I'll be listing out all the globalist failures, specifically beginning in the 1990s. And this is, as I've noted last episode, it's not a left or right issue, and I want to bring my alternative realist solutions on how it could have been solved and how it would have been much more successful. So obviously, if we want to start with the beginning of globalism and the prevailing ideology, we have to go back to um, the early 1900s when Woodrow Wilson first kind of brought up the concept of it through by his speech where he said the world cannot be safe without a world in which democracy, a world in which it is safe to have a democracy, or something like that. So the vision is is that the United States and the West European people are going to in- install a sort of a global vision on liberal democratic principles, and that's going to be the U.S. rule. And at that time, there are many justifications for that because. It was actually a pretty effective strategy because the United States was trying to bring an alternative to the U to the European ways, which was filled with imperialism, colonialism, and many all sorts of oppressive measures. Which also brought the concept of determinism, which gave a lot of colonies hope that they could gain their independence and all sorts of things. So back then, it it had certain logic to it because European ways were was having a lot of problems especially with World War one so it was very in the beginning old but you the United States has their limits of keeping their national interests obviously they do not want to be entangled with European affairs obviously because if they do they will go into their wars and all sorts of their conflicts and be entangled with their interests which is very very bad so the realists which were the Republican Party at the time took the more of a less interventionist approach and prevented the United States from joining the League of Nations which Woodrow Wilson wanted to do desperately which is a very foolish move so at that time the realist vision was successful. So to a certain degree, having this kind of globalist vision in allowing America to intervene more was a logical approach. But when you go, but there is a difference between implementing policies and providing a vision. The vision itself is accurate and correct, but the implementation of where where the United States was a rising power, but yet still very weak compared to Germany, France, Britain, Russia, and etc. Cetera, et cetera. You really don't want to fight with among those people. You want to protect your country, have your country grow economically and militarily more prosperous, and wait for the right opportunity for you for you to become kind of more of a global power. So at that time the Republicans put the heels on, blocked Woodrow Wilson from doing so, and Woodrow, and it was very successful. Also, it was also dangerous because, as I mentioned, the two key po- policy, the principles of realism is one is you got to exercise strength so that your enemies don't look down on you or see you as an easy target. So exercising strength, 
and that is a very good principle. That is something conservatives tend to understand better than liberals, because liberals kind of have this kind of more morality and have this kind of opposition against using just brute force to crack down on people, crack down on countries and other enemies, and etc., etc. But this is what what liberals understand. What and conservatives don't understand is the second principle, which is. But if you abuse your power when you're exercising your strength, you will face backlash. So if you just keep beating up other countries, eventually those countries are going to start hating you, and they're going to try to work form their own alliances against you. And once they do that, the backlash isn't going to be so pretty on that country. And conservatives nowadays do not understand this principle of how to fight. Why? On the principle of why diplomacy matters at times, and kind of taking a friendly approach, so they don't hate, so other countries don't hate you a lot, don't hate you, or actually, and should like you instead. And those are the two key principles. Woodrow Wilson, because he was way too obsessed with this globalist vision, tried to create the United, tried to create the League of Nations, have us join it, even agreed with the Treaty of Versailles, which was one of the most unrealistic, anti-realist treaty on almost history, which was basically saying Germany is responsible entirely, so we're going to beat the living crap out of you. So if that happens, as I said in principle number two, if you keep beating up a certain country, they will, once a mouse is cornered, they will bite. Germ the treaty of Versailles cornered Germany, cornered Germany, in, cornered Germany into a point where they had no choice but to bite, not even to, they had no area in which they could kind of wiggle their room out. The Treaty of Versailles totally gave them in tremendous debts, took away a lot of their territory, took all their colonies, weakened them, not just militarily, which could have, which have its justifications, but economically just completely de deprived them of almost all their national sovereignty. It was a very, very irrational treaty. And Woodrow Wilson, because he had this very idealistic globalist vision, he totally trashed that out. He totally just tr trashed his stance that we shouldn't be too harsh on Germany for this globalist vision. So as I said repeatedly, I don't, I'm not hating on Woodrow Wilson entirely, but his notion that, but because he was so obsessed with this, he did not take the effective strategic measures. So, in the long, so in the long run, creating this globalist vision for America to rise and kind of have this democratic vision as an alternative is a good idea for America to become stronger. But, but, in the short term, with all these, with all the chaos Europe is going through, it's not in the U.S.'s best interest to be involved in it, and the Republicans made that wrong choice. So that is the beginning of the globalist ideology. And the Republican principles have prevailed until the 1920s, where Woodrow Wilson was crushed in the midterm. Warren Harding was elected. Calvin Coolidge, after he died, was elected. And they knew that we, that the, the, we Europeans were cornering Ger Germany too much. So there was all this chaos ensuing with all the rise of communists, anarchists, all sorts of tense groups. And Germany was a wrecking ball mess under the Weimar Republic in the beginning, where there's a famous scene where Adolf Hitler cited where apparently in the streets of Berlin, which is their capital, like people are having sex with prostitutes in the streets where everyone could see them, which is which shows how low just trash heap of a city it has become under the chaos. So they have taken the proper realist measures in giving 
opening up Germany to economic resources with the United States trading with them and giving them a lot of opportunities in which they could recover. And that worked. And that it was very, very effective. And that would have probably prevented Adolf Hitler's rise if it had been preserved. But as you may know, what happened after that was the Great Depression. And the U.S., because they were ensued in such chaos, could not keep up to the, with those commitments on helping Germany. So they left and did not help Germany at all, which brought Germany into another chaos. And obviously, when chaos ensues, people look to a strongman leader for security and fairness instead of being exploited by which was effectively people other countries using the Treaty of Versailles to economically bring profits to their own countries which is what many corporatists have done big corporations in Britain France have done so Adolf Hitler grabbing on that opportunity declared using the deep using the Rothschilds and all, all sorts of other Jewish kind of oligarchs as a scapegoat to blame all the problems on them and became rose to power. So this is what happens when anti-realist principles of court, of just beating beating up a country to its corners does in its reality. It right it causes them to rely upon a very evil and a strong man, dangerous person can cause quite a chaos and as we know Hitler has ensued World War II and was brought German economy to its powerful brings and really threatened um, Britain's and France's powers and really was on the brink of taking over the entire Western Europe and so that's where the globalist and the realist visions differ. If the realists have prevailed in that period, we would have continued to help Germany out. Would have wrote the Treaty of Versailles in a completely different fashion, where it appeases, where Germany is stripped of its certain military and economic measures, but kind of has like peace measures or kind of ways in which Germany can still preserve their economic and political sovereignty, but to the degree in which militarily they can't really exercise much of a threat to other countries. If that had worked out, while the U.S. stayed out of it, World War II wouldn't have happened, and the U.S. could have peacefully risen to power. And this, and that's what would have happened. And the cool, and that's the first phase of globalist failures. So let's go to this. So let's go to the second phase, which is in goes to the 1990, which goes to the 1980s, well, 1988 to be more precise, because the Cold War was actually very successful in terms of realist principles, where the United States have really exercised containment strategy, containment strategies to block the Soviet Union, as well as the establishment of NATO to counter Soviet Union's continued encroachment and the spread of communism which has been really successful, but did have some failures, like the Vietnam War, which was not executed correctly at all, because we took on the, the United States took on the side of France, which is absurd, when obviously Vietnam wants to become independent, and the fact that we so sided with France, which was their clone, which, which was colonizing them for the past few decades, decades or for a century, I don't recall the exact number, so obviously, if we're taking side with them, 
we, they would obviously have animosity toward us. So from the beginning, the cold Vietnam War was kind of screwed in terms of our big under under Kennedy. Although the strategy of containment itself, trying to prevent a communist uprising in Vietnam, was correct, it did not work out. And the realist principle really prevailed under one under Eisenhower, where he took during the Suez Crisis the side of Egypt which helped a lot of the countries in the Middle East not take sides with the Soviet Union because if we took the side of Britain, France, and Israel, we would have for sure lost most of our Middle Eastern allies to the side of the Soviet Union because Israel was not liked by a lot of countries in the Middle East back then for obvious reasons. So strategically, Eisenhower took the right tack took the right path and also in terms of realist principles and I have to mention domestic politics a little bit segregate regarding our Mark MLK and the civil rights movement we took the strategically right path if we have taken the anti-segregationist path the Soviet Union would have used that as a propaganda of all the racism and all the exploitations that the United States have committed it would have been really really dangerous an effective propaganda that the USSR could have used to really demonize the United States because we were offering, in contrast to the Soviet Union, this kind of democratic capitalism where everyone, individuals are free to do what they want, everyone is treated equally, and everyone competes and has a fair system in which people have the opportunity to become successful if they work hard, basically the American dream. But that was the vision we were doing. But if we had supported segregation, which is basically saying, which when we were talking, talking about fair opportunities and equal chances for all to become successful, while we were oppressing black people with all these like, segregationist measures, that hypocrisy could have been ex very successfully exploited by the Soviet Union, with whom which were claiming to their authority, moral authority, saying, we are the communist countries which are going to counter the capitalist, imperialist exploitations, which have some merits, since that's what kind of imperialism and capitalism was, having a mixture combination during the 17 and 1800s. So they say, we're going to counter that equality for all, land for all, we're not going to let this oppressive system stand. So if we have our own oppressive system, that which was what the Soviet Union was critiquing on, then the Cold War, in terms of our soft power, especially among the third world countries, we would have lost a lot of support and alliances there. So, since we took that side of, a, um, we took the side of abolishing segregation and the side of MLK and the civil rights movement, that demonization ended. We allowed a lot of immigrants to come in, showing that we are a very diverse country, accepting a lot of people. That vision has worked successfully and us and with the Reagan's and with Nixon's Nixon well specifically Kissinger's genius vision of bringing dividing the communist sector by bringing Vietnam after the war and China to our side well not necessarily to our side but at least to a neutral country where they don't support the Soviet Union and by therefore weakening the communist front by dividing them which was a genius strategy, Soviet Union just started declining like crazy. And in that standard, I really regard Nixon as a very, very underrated president. He has, because he signs a lot of peace military treaties, reducing military caps, while, because the longer the Cold War goes, the weaker the Soviet Union becomes, because 
Soviet economic system was unsustainable because if you give everyone the same money every single hour, who has the incentive to work hard and produce a lot? So the Soviet Union kept declining economically while we were on the rise as we started wrapping up a lot of our problems domestically like racism and all, and all sorts of other civil conflicts. So with all these military salt caps and all this stuff, while we were maintaining peace, we were on the rise. They were declining on them with Reagan's ingenious vision of military buildup once more after that, where we pressured the Soviet Union to kept building milit- unsustainable amount of military arms, which facilitated their collapse really quickly. And then signing a nuclear anti-nuclear peace agreement with Gorbachev afterwards to ensure that this sort of escalation does not go to war with these types of series of very realist, ingenious measures, we were able to win the Cold War. So in terms of the Cold War, we do have some errors here and there, like with the Cuban Missile Crisis, with, with what we did in the Bay of Pigs and the Vietnam War. Yes, we do have some parts that we could have done better, but overall, we were, in terms of realist vision, we were very, very successful. Now we go to our very dark period where the globalist vision has been taken and the realist vision has been completely boshed, leading to a complete decline of America. So it begins in 1988 when we have effectively won the Cold War. Back, It was just only a matter of time in which the Soviet Union collapsed. I mean, even if they didn't, they lost anyways. Like, we had complete opportunity above all. Oh, and I forgot to mention, one also realist vision was Japan was also on the, economically on the rise. After we crushed them during World War II, they went on the rise once more, threatening U.S. power within the democratic sector. They could have really surpassed us if we didn't do anything about it. But Reagan, with this patriotic kind of vision, we, we kind of know him as like a neoliberal guy who keeps promoting free trade, which is true. But he also smacked down Japan with the Plaza Accords, putting big fat tariffs on all sorts of product, Japanese products that was threatening U.S. industry, and with the Plaza Accords really reckon, really putting crackdown on the yen currency, causing them, causing the currency to just go up, up in value tremendously, while their industry started declining, we have effectively also reduced the Japanese threat, not just the Soviet threat, but Reagan has beaten Japan and the Soviet Union, which makes him a very, very great president in terms of securing America's interests and making America economically more prosperous. So just to have no in 1988, when George H.W. Bush gets elected, all the failures start begin because he installed what he called kind of a globalist utopian vision where through the UN we take care of all these big bad like authoritarian states and we were going to really take an interventionist role despite the Soviet Union ending. Which really doesn't make sense because the reason we kept up with all sorts of military spending, all sorts of obligations to many, many allies across the world was because of the threat of the Soviet Union. That was the only reason we'd done so. So when it ended, we had no reason to keep those commitments. So the realist vision would have been to starting one was was to leave nato because we have no because if we keep staying in nato then we would have gotten ourselves entangled into a bunch of european conflicts and affairs which we did (laughs) and wasting but billions and billions of dollars on that of taxpayer money and all sorts of our troops and all sorts of resources etc etc which we did so we should have left nato a lot of globalists we 
we wouldn't have gotten rid of a lot of our commitments in, across many places like Europe, parts of the Middle East, Middle Middle East, parts of Asia. We should have started bringing our troops home, taking our kind of bases, military bases off in many, many areas, but we did not do that. U.S. said we were going to stay involved, stay involved all across the world, intervene in some third world and all sorts of a set of countries with have, where they have problems and make the world a better place. So that this idealistic globe, globalist vision that Wilson brought up was succeeded by H.W. Bush. And he said he was... And this is where all the problems began, because one was that the problems of free trade started emerging, where the American working class and American industry started getting outsourced, and we started losing jobs, manufacturing jobs like crazy, while it was going out to other countries, which were the very cheaper labor and also cheaper products in general, because they have very low wages, and they don't care about the environment on the factory, it can smell like crap, and it can have... Very dangerous pollution and all, all sorts of things. They don't have healthcare, welfare, any commitments to the workers, so it's very cheaper. Start so getting outsourced, dangerously outsourced there. And unlike Reagan, who smacked on the Japanese when U.S. industries were threatened, H.W. Bush was just a free trade fanatic. He kept those commitments and expanded them, which is what led to the rise within the Republican Party of Pat Buchanan, who kind of had this isolationist nationalist vision, saying. Cold War's over. Bring our boys home. Let's focus on making, on focus on internal affairs now because we have a lot of problems internally, economically, socially, etc., etc. And also the rise of Ross Perot because what happens is through free trade, big business prospers. The laborers may, the laborers may be crushed. But let's look at this. When big businesses outsource their factories and all sorts of jobs to other places, they can produce their products at a much, much cheaper price while their profit margins just skyrocket. But is, the sky, but is this profit margin being equally distributed among like to the middle class and the workers? No, of course not, because it's being outsourced to China. Chinese and all these people barely get any money. They barely pay any wages. They don't give any of their commitments. And obviously, they don't. They have most of their jobs not here, but there. So all these executives and these rich, big, fat CEOs get all the money, the benefits out of free trade. So this is where the tragedy of economic inequality starts rising up due to this globalist vision, to this vision that we've got to connect the world together in harmony through free trade and all this. It is a very unrealistic thing to do. You've got to strategically keep a certain degree of your economic security, which is basically securing a good number of jobs and a good number of people, so good number of economic conditions so that the American people inside are, have relatively okay lives as a stable middle class and and good opportunities for the poor and people in the middle to rise up the ranks. we, we got to secure those opportunities and those measures while doing trade because trade is a good thing but you can't do that excessively or, or because free trade is something that inevitably, unequivocally, un inevitably benefits the rich and the big, big businesses. So there should have been a balance, but he did not take this kind of realist vision. He just said, just free trade everywhere. I don't care about economic security. We're just going to connect the world, unite the world into this, unite the entire globe into this vision. So economic expansion. Da, da, da. So what happens is the workers get crushed, wages become stagnant, welfare. So people become reliant on welfare, which is not a very good thing because all you, because let me tell you, it's not a good life to just be paid like a hundred bucks a day and you just and you not yourself working hard. You just kind of live in your house, 
day to day and not doing anything. People become miserable because people want to be committed and working hard on something because they learn something out of that. They feel like their life has meaning, and that has been entirely sucked away by this. So they become deprived. And if we see many of the problems in the black American black community today, it's because those opportunities have been completely sucked away. Not just by by free trade and any of those. Because of this lack of care, and what also another thing that happens is, if economic inequality grows and middle class starts collapsing, they have less political voice in the market because big business has a lot of money and they want to keep making more money. You can't blame the business; it's not the business's fault; it's the government's fault for not having this balanced policy. So once they use it, what do you think they'll do with the extra money? They will lobby and bribe politicians. So that this free trade policies are preserved because they're making more money. They want to make more of it. They don't care about the middle class. They don't care about the working class of this country. They can die for all they care. They can die and live miserable lives for all they care because they're making money. So they have more political representation and voice and pressure among the politicians, while the middle class and well, so in terms of lobbying, while the middle class and the lower class did have some voice when they were relatively economically well off because. Corporations didn't, in terms of percentage, do most of the lobbying, so there was an effective balance against that. So that labor, such as institutions like labor unions or environmental, or all sorts, all sorts of other like labor-friendly or kind of middle-class friendly lobbying institutions, can kind of counter that. But when they start losing money and big business starts accruing more money, in terms of the lobbying balance, corporate interest becomes disproportionately becoming represented, and that brings. The system called crony capitalism, where these big businesses are represented entirely, while the political system becomes ignored. So, that is a very, that is the failure of a globalist vision. You gain economic inequality, and in economic inequality, and this type of ideal vision that you just don't care about your domestic affairs and just just run over the country with this kind of. Vision and believing that through all these free trade and all these relations and all sorts of intervention that you can bring yourself unified with other countries is absolute garbage and nonsense. So we have deprived many of the American workers of our, their opportunities. Not just the black community, not just the black community who had to resort to a lot of illegal measures to make money, like drugs or gangs or all sorts of things. And you can't really blame black people for doing that because their community has been so deprived. Then when they look at it, the only way they could succeed or gain or gain money to feed their family and that is drugs and gangs and all this. There, this is the only way they can kind of gain some sort of security. And obviously, when when people get associated with with these kind of measures, obviously morally they commit violence. It becomes a chaos. Crime starts increasing. And I believe this is where the root of kind of BLM and this police conflict lies in, because as Black people becoming economically deprived in their communities, as a result of, in my opinion, radical neoliberalism, free trade, become reliant on that, and also with Democrat policy of giving them welfare, in exchange saying, "Oh, we're not going to give you a job. We're trying to make you live a hardworking life. You know, in exchange, we're just going to give you money. We're going to money to and to encourage 
like single parenting or like we're going to give all sorts of welfare benefits and instead of actually providing a vision in which African Americans can live prosperous lives where they can get into the middle class. So it's a mix of neoliberalism and these failed democratic policies where they also, not only economically, but they also be lenient in crime, in terms of the crimes that they commit by entering into drugs and gangs, by incentivizing that, by just releasing them because they feel kind of sympathy, because they understand why they're doing this, this incentivizes also family crackdown. This also disintegrates the family structure, which is the best structure, socially speaking. So, I mean, we see single family, like two-parent households are only like 20 to 30% in black American households. So, and once you don't have a proper education, proper parenting and all these sorts of support, social support within your family, people take more irresponsible choices, etc., etc. So they commit more crimes and they more do rash things, so they collide with the police. And because they see this rising crime among black Americans, police start to have police, and, and this is only restricted to very, very deprived, poor communities like Chicago and etc., Police start thinking. Black, police start to tend to think that Black Americans tend to commit more crime, whether it's because of these economic problems or not. Regardless of that, they tend to commit more crimes. So police become more cautious and become more aggressive and against the police, against specifically Black Americans. You can say that's racism. You can argue, and I'm not, I'm, and I won't deny. It, but that's you can't really blame the police for that. The police's job is to enforce law and order against crime. So you. They can, they're not going to think about all this kind of economics, the economic situations in which black Americans became living like such tough lives and, and all the single parent policies and all these Democrat policies and et cetera, et cetera. They're not going to think about that. They're just going to think about enforcing the law. You can't blame them. That's their only job. You can't expect them to give them some way of socially living better lives or helping them out through these hardships. That's not the police's job. That's the government official's job. And that is where the BLM collides in. And so it all connects to the feet depriving depriving of many people of these opportunities. And that is the free trade failure. It's beginning and beginning. And I'm just saying George H.W. Bush because he's the one who kind of began this. And then this and then the second realm is this is the immigration problem where Republicans I become very friendly on immigration. As I've said, immigration was a good strategy during the Cold War because we want to show that we are a diverse country, tolerant of all sorts of countries, which we America is in general much better compared to other countries by bringing all sorts of immigrants across the country. We did that. And Bush continued... Bush, the first Bush, continued the strategy. And this is a fraudulent one because, as I've said, neoliberal, as I've said, free trade is already killing the workers, the middle class, and the lower class like crazy. And we're bringing in more immigrants to compete with those people. I mean, if, I mean, if all the immigrants that came in were all rich, very intelligent people that make businesses and provide new jobs, that's great. And I'm pretty sure immigrants, and, and, and immigrants do have that kind of positive side effect, which is a good thing. But another side effect is if we bring a lot of people, not a merit, if we don't do a merit-based immigration system, but just bring all sorts of immigrants that want to come here, which is the policy we've taken through amnesty and the deregulation of immigration, legal immigration, and all sorts, and letting illegal immigrants in, we 
people that come through this road are usually lower and middle class workers. So what happens? These, if all sorts of people come in, then they're competing with people that are already having a tough time in America. So that brings the wages lower even further. That brings the workers, workers to fight among themselves and all sorts of social conflicts also ensue. And that is a very dangerous... If, we are in a socially and economically prosperous situation for those lower and middle class people, then that's okay. Bringing immigration, people people can adjust and compromise and get along with those people. But when they're living very tough lives right now, when they're living, when they're barely living, and when a lot of white people, when a lot of white working class people as well start getting depressed with their lives because their lives have become ruined compared to the prosperous 50s and 60s, and they are starting taking drugs and they're already angry about their life and they see illegal immigrants and immigrants all sorts of people coming in and whether it be committing crime taking their jobs lowering the wages benefiting off of welfare and all sorts of etc etc they get angry they're not they're not in the mood to be tolerant to other people right now they want themselves if they their lives are at risk. But well, why should we bring more Im illegal immigrants that we got to take care of and got to help help out? So these people are saying, wait, we should have, you guys, sh the government should have our interests first, not these immigrants. We Okay, help, okay, immigrants are fine. I mean, immig I mean, bringing immigrants are fine, but okay, help us out first and then bring the immigrants, okay? Like the order is completely mixed up. Like you got to help. And that is the thing people do not understand about immigration. About, about the current conflict with immigration. It's not about hating other people. When Trump says build a wall, it's not about hating on those people. It's I don't it's not because they're racist or xenophobic, although those ten, although those kind of sentiments are rising are all are all are there, but it's mainly not because of but the reason just because the sentiments are there behind building a wall doesn't mean the reason is. The reason is because we we don't have the luxury or the capacity to take care of those people. I'm sorry. I mean, I'm pretty sure that many of those immigrants live tough lives, and I feel sympathy. And many in the conservative sector, like the Trump supporters, do feel sympathy for those people as well. But they're saying, we can't deal with you yet. we got to deal with us first. We're dying right now. We're doing drugs. We're so depressed that we're relying on opioid. We don't have jobs. Our wages are just nothing. We don't have any benefits. We we barely have money living paycheck to paycheck to paycheck. We cannot, we just cannot live with, we just cannot have you guys come here and take our jobs right now. We don't, we can't have a situation where we compete with you. And when people are angry, that's the main message. And of course, those sentiments are risen because people are desperate. Let me tell you, when Hitler, Hitler had all sorts of anti-Semitism and all these hate, folk, all these hate sentiments, the reason that worked and was effective against German people was because German people were suffering and they were angry. And when they're angry and irrational, yeah, people, and they want to point their finger to blame some sort of people, it's very effective to lure the people to doing that when they're angry. It's the same. And the same thing is here. Yes, I do believe Trump has kind of promoted some sort, a sort of xenophobic toward Latin Americans, but it's true where he kind of looks down on Mexicans and all sorts of people. But yes, he ordered in a very brash way, which was very inappropriate, but you can't, 
You can't blame him for saying that when he is not the one who created the problem, which made these working class people so angry that they started hating all those immigrants. And you can't blame him for that. He's trying to solve the problem. Trump's Trump is the one trying to solve the problem, bring alternative solution. If the Republicans and the Democrats at the time was criticizing him while saying, don't speak like that, don't say such xenophobic stuff like that, and I will bring in exchange. We listen, we heard your pain. So in exchange, while not saying those things, we gotta, we'll have these alternatives to help you out. That's not all they say. They just said his policies, the things, uh, issues he's addressing itself are racist and xenophobic. They said the issue of immigration itself is xenophobic and racist, which is not true at all. We're trying to build the wall and limit immigration because these people are suffering. So, and the tr and this is where the tragedy emerges. I talked a lot about the tragedy. A lot, a lot of our tragedy is with the police and Black Americans. The police are trying to enforce their law. The black Black Americans are just trying to find their way to economically survive in these tough times. But obviously, those two interests just do not match up. So those two interests kind of are conflict conflicting with Black Americans. So they they are fine. Immigration is great and all. It's the same with immigrants and the natives when. You're suffering, and you see a lot of illegal immigrants coming here and just killing wages and taking your jobs. Yeah, you're gonna start. You're gonna get angry at them because they look like the immediate, immediate reason why you're suffering. If you just look at this in a simple-minded fashion, so we should explain this in sort of a way. And that was the unrealistic thing we that we did. We and. That was the economic sphere of why immigration, why this amnesty and immigration was a very globalist immigration policy was very inaccurate. And the realist vision should have been put a limit on immigration because these wages, these working class people are suffering, solve their problem, and then figure out an effective strategy to let these people in. The second one is the cultural one. Is the cultural one I want to argue, which really connects to realist principles because a lot of countries that bring these cultures. It's a good thing. They bring new cultures, they bring new innovative visions and ways of to make America a better place. Asian Americans brought a lot of contributions into Silicon Valley. Hispanic Americans as well and African Americans through their development and also have contributed a lot of things culturally and economically they made America a much better place with their efforts when they, as they fought to abolish slavery so all these different ethnic and cultural groups do have a good good purpose but if you bring in so much illegal immigrants where you start denying the existing native culture in the country that is very dangerous because the reason america prospered in the first place was the notion of having a constitutionalist republic having a separation of powers separation of powers having this kind of judeo-christian ideas of capitalism and democracy and kind of a moral vision of preserving individual freedom and all that culture is rooted on Judeo-Christian and Western values. Now, and I'm, I'm not saying what Judeo-Christian and Western values are best are the best, but I'm just saying, in terms of America, that is the reason America prospered was because of Judeo-Christian values. So when you bring all sorts of people 
that don't have those cultures that don't know like that do not understand those values at all and as i do i do know that because i come from a korean korean household that really do not know those values and i had to learn myself at school they don't care about the constitution they don't know about democracy they don't know about individual freedom they don't know about separation of powers the first amendment second amendment third amendment fourth amendment etc etc they don't know about all those principles habeas corpus why those are important they don't know because they come from a completely different country and if so they have a very strong disregard of those values and if they start piling up and becoming the norm the values the culture that made america successful in the search but it's gonna start dissipating so this is also another reason why we we should be cautious with immigration when when trump says like we shouldn't bring all these mexican immigrants because they're really bad people which is very poorly worded he's not saying that those people are bad people well he's not necessarily saying, he's saying they don't know us they don't understand what our values are so when they come in here they're it's gonna take time for them to learn, be educated, and assimilate. So we need to have a kind of a slow-paced measure so that we can have them assimilate into Judeo-Christian values. Well, it doesn't have to even be Judeo-Christian values. It just has to be the constitutionalist principles, American principles like capitalism, freedom, the First Amendment, Second Amendment, and all and the values of freedom, liberty, and all sorts of things. It's gonna take time to have these new immigrants be brought in and understand them. A lot of them don't understand that because they never experienced it. They're new. They're new here. But when you bring like millions of them here, they have the strength and the capacity to start trying to overturn many of those values and bring inject their own. Now, if they're injecting their own as a mixing, as mixing into the American culture, that's fine. But when they're trying to overturn American values entirely that is a very dangerous thing and we see that right now we see the 1619 project we see when these type of marxist and critical race theory saying that america is rooted in systemic racism without any without the entire disregard of our constitution our freedom and liberty all sorts of good things that america has brought out in this country why because they don't know about it they don't understand it because many of them are immigrants and many of them are not accustomed to those values so that is another side effect of immigration. There's the economic aspect and then there's the cultural aspect. So we got to slowly let them in, teach them our values, have them understand our values, and then mix and then have their own uniqueness be mixed into American ways of life. That what should have been the realist approach. Then we wouldn't have had this huge this decline through this cancel culture and all sorts of these woke nonsense where we just demonize others just define everything in terms of race bring this kind of socialist vision bring this type of socialist big government vision where individual liberties are being cracked out on every front with like vaccine mandates and all sorts of things that wouldn't have happened if the cultural shift had, if the cultural shift hasn't happened so dramatically as a result of all sorts of immigrants coming in we've had around when it had, it should have been done in a rational, slow fashion, where it should one by one immigrants are coming in, educated, slowly, and they coming in. So we should have had a, a very rational system instead of bringing millions in. We should have had like a 
more of a merit system where people that really can help contribute to this country come in instead of low-wage workers or people. And especially with legal immigration, the danger of enforcing that is if people come illegally, they've already committed a crime. So they're accustomed to committing crimes. So once they come in here, not, I'm not saying all of them, but many of them have a more of a tendency to commit crime because usually the way they come here is they came through with the help of human traffickers or all sorts of criminals that have a, make a living out of all this legal immigration. And a lot of criminals come through this, come through illegal immigration, all these matters. And obviously when you bring criminals into your community, they're going to cause quite a conflict and chaos, which is another reason why we have this huge crime surge. Well, because a lot of illegal immigrants are just pumped in with this belief that diversity is a good thing without thinking of any of the consequences that this could bring. But why did the globalists do this? Because, as I've said, crony capitalism. If a bunch of illegal immigrants come in, they kill wages, they deprive the working class of any powers they have of fighting against the elites and reducing their profits so that they can kind of gain a fair share, it kills them of any economic, political, social power at all. That is the danger. That's why the globalists on the right have been embracing amnesty, which they have been very stupid. On the left, obviously, because many of these immigrants are not accustomed to American traditional values, they're going to vote Democrat because Democrats are always discussing about changing and saying America's racist, saying America's problematic here, here. They're ripping off minorities. They talk about racism. They keep using identity politics to divide people. So demographically, and just keep, crapping on American tradition, so obviously Democrats have the upper hand in terms of votes if a lot of illegal immigrants and all sorts of immigrants from all sorts of countries come in without being accustomed or assimilated to American values at all. That is the cultural and economic dangers of immigration that has been installed by a globalist vision. And this doesn't start with, and this is what H.W. started and Clinton with the beginning of his presidency, he started expanding as he created his new coalition called with the, with a, a new left where he takes a very, very neoliberal approach and started promote free trade, starts just dumping all, starts basically ignoring the needs of the working class and just talks about capitalism, capitalism, and talks about competition and a globalism, globalist vision of promoting human rights all across the place. Like like H.W. Bush did, because both parties are like that, people, when Pat Buchanan lost, obviously Ross Perot took the steam because he was the only candidate among the three that actually represented the needs of the working class and against the corporations. He was the only one. So he got it, but obviously he did not garner enough votes to be president and Bill Clinton was elected and he continued this kind of disastrous domestic anti-realist policies that have been committed. So there's the economic one in terms of free trade, and then there's the economic one with Im illegal immigration and just immigration in general, or, or and the cultural one where we have lost many of our cultural American cultural values that made this country great in the first place as a result of bringing in a lot of illegal immigrants and not educating the people and Amer new American generations properly on American values as the colleges and all these elite, elite institutions take over. And this is the conflict of crony capitalism. Universities, 
the the rich they all come in come into one circle because colleges love globalism because they're all about kind of this idealistic vision of unifying the world together in this vision in this unify unity they have no american culture in mind and they don't care about our national interest they just care about unifying the world together so it's, and talk about diversity and these kind of idealistic liberal cultures which all colleges have because when people are young they tend to be liberal and idealistic about the world so obviously colleges collude with the what the with the college with the elite corporations and in terms of academia hollywood hollywood who, with academia same thing because many of them because many of the academia isn't are in colleges and they start one by one being taken over by colluding with the elite corporations and taking a more liberal approach since that liberal hegemony is the driving factor of globalism, which is what the conservatives fail to understand. Liberal hegemony is a liberal ideology. It's not, li it's not the liberalism we know of Adam Smith. Liberal hegemony is saying we're the good country, we're going to promote all these sorts of good values all across the world, la la la. That's a very liberal thought process. It's not a conservative thought process, which, which conservatives are based on having a kind of a realistic vision of the world. It is a liberal thing. And Bush, Bush too. And all sorts of other candidates like Bob Dole, McCain, and Romney did not understand that and just basically let the left promote them to their own accord. And so the elites have become liberal because one marketing strategy that they could use to promote free trade and globalism, which is what basically the corporations and academia and entertainment industry, all these all sorts of industries and all, all the elite institutions in America want, including the bureaucracy, which I'll mention in the next segment, because they need to kind of put a mask. They, they can't just say like, oh, I'm, I want to make more money and be richer and richer, which is basically the main reason why. They got to put on a mask to say the reason we're doing this is for is for a good vision so they gotta have this vision and the conservative vision doesn't really provide that so they went with the liberal vision which is saying i'm gonna make the world a better place with racially diverse coalition we're gonna make the world work together no more wars we're gonna just gonna cooperate together and we're just in the UN, all these globalist institutions, we're going to work together, have peace, we're going to work together and solve all sorts of problems together with like human rights abuses, like climate change and like, women's rights, etc. Et so it makes corporations look good. It helps by saying, I support BLM, or I support women's rights, I support this. If they can use that as a mask to hide all the inhumane things that they have done by crushing the middle class. It, it acts as a mask for them to hide it. So they went with the liberals. So it's a very convenient tool by colluding with the liberals. They can hide all sorts of their atrocities and the ill side effects that their policies have on the on the people in general. So that's why most corporations and all sorts of people become liberal because it's so convenient. Let me tell you, Amazon saying BLM isn't going to help workers. But it helps them look liberal. It helps them look like they care about people, not this kind of, not look elitist at least. So it helps them look sympathetic to people. So it works as a very good mask. That is what that is the kind of shift that began in the 1990s, which conservatives just did not see because 
which was a very, very sad thing because most of the time, conservatives went along with this. They saying, oh, human rights violation and all sorts of things. We've got to promote all our sorts of... Because they thought America... Through this globalist vision, they're promoting American values. Let me tell you, it's not promo about promoting American values. It's about promoting... It's about promoting their profits and increasing their power. And here's the third... So I also want to talk about the deep state. Also talk about the bureaucratic element. And all about, as I said, it's all about power. All these guys, the reason they're operating based on this is one is obviously they genuinely, there's a group of people that genuinely believe what they're doing is good for society. On the other hand, it's because it helps as a mask. And the bureaucracy is, bureaucracy has become this institution where they can gain more power with all sorts of things by using this globalist vision. For example, the CIA, they released those like woke ads like talking about gay rights or like women's rights and all sorts of things. Yeah, because they're basically saying, we are on your side, so give us more power to survey these evil right-wing capital riot people. Give us more power to investigate domestic terrorism because we are a sympathetic organization. It helps them it gives them a mask and a leverage to persuade the people to gain more power. It's the same thing with the CDC and all sorts of the deep state saying that we have, we want to protect, save lives through masks or vaccine mandates or lockdowns and all sorts of things. No, that's not the case. It's not about saving lives. It's more about saying, yeah, we are all sorts of these sympathetic people, so give us more power. This globalist vision helps that by saying, the, which is why the globalists talk about the Great Reset about through the pandemic and saying like we gotta put more masks on and also and also like enforce help help what the scientists and these elites have more power these increase the legitimacy because they're all because those guys are all colluding at one thing about promoting climate change and all sorts of policies that give not just the bureaucrats but many many other interest interest groups much more power that's what the bureau the bureaucracy wants more power the corporations more profit the academia wants more recognition and more influence into affairs and they have become elitist as a result by colluding with them college obviously they're liberals so they love all those blm stuff so they collude in there to entertainment industry obviously very left-leaning so obviously they collude there so that's how all this weak and let me tell you when they start connecting which these powerful people with Rich people, do you think it's about the people or the working people? No, they are crushed. None of all these issues, masks, BLM, women's rights, immigration, like saying, let's just have open borders or like, let's have masks, lockdowns, climate change. None of them. It's a rich people idea. None of those help the people from their low crushing wages and having nothing for them to recover and live prosperous lives. That is the situation that this globalist vision has wrought into America. It is not a realist vision because it has been wrapped with very idealistic but very emotionally appealing ideologues connecting it to it to provide justification in terms of moral terms and, rain, and it has been reinforced this way domestically for the past 20 to 30 years. And 
any moral. And let me tell you, I've been hitting on the liberals for the past like 30 minutes right now. And let me tell you, and that conservatives just didn't understand all sorts of things. Yeah, they didn't understand. But let me tell you, they, the global conservatives are also no different. They also sought to increase themselves because they like capital. Because they just say capitalism is crony. Crony capitalism and capitalism are the same thing, which is not the same thing. But I don't. But they kept promoting like laissez fair neoliberal system. They just kept pumping that up because they thought that was the right policy. So they kept promoting that, and as a result, those neocons, hawkish neocons, who talk of interventionism and those things, when we should be putting our troops back home, is when we should be getting our troops and most of our liabilities all across the all the world out. Because they're irrelevant anymore because the Soviet Union has collapsed since the 1990s. They don't want to do that too because they have also been enwrapped with this moral vision that America are patriotic. They have patriotically, we're going to make other countries like America. While not understanding that globalism degrades American values. Not understanding that they thought, yeah, America. Yeah, we're going to. So all we, Judeo-Christianism is away, so those Muslims, especially during the war on terror, and not thinking of the right cause, the right, the reason 9-11 happened was because we, what H.W. Bush did, was kept putting our presence in the Middle East under Clinton and H.W. Bush, so we kept intervening, supporting Israel, we kept meddling with their affairs by supporting Saudi Arabia, or attacking Iran, attacking Saddam Hussein, or all sorts of things, because we kept, and we had our troops in Israel, which is very near Jerusalem, their Mecca, their holy capital, Muslims got pissed, it looked like a form of colonialism, they wanted, they thought we'll get out now, since that Soviet Union disappeared, and all sorts of things, but we kept meddling in their affairs, because we kept saying Muslims stink, their values suck, American Western values is the way to go, we kept demonizing them, so they got angry at us, and they blew us up, and that's just why 9-11 happened, I'm not just, that's not, I'm not saying 9-11 was justified, but, it was not. It was not for irrational, baseless reasons. Not just because they're evil. They, they, yeah, they're evil. Yeah, they're evil. But it's not just because they're evil that this happened. There was a very strong sentiment and a driving force in U.S. policy that provoked the Middle East and many other countries there to do this, to do 9/11. And how do we respond instead of instead of realizing that oh maybe we should intervene less in the Middle East? What did we respond by? We started seven new wars under Bush and Obama. We kept saying those Muslims stink, they suck. They're, we, we, we said Islam is a terrible religion, they're evil, they're terrorists, they're terrorist sympathizers. And we called anyone that opposed the Iraq war or the Patriot Act terrorist sympathizers and using the terrorism as a tool, they promoted more globalism, more interventionism, more promotion. And that is where the realist vision totally just was out of touch. If the realist one, if 9-11 happened, we would have learned, oh, we would have, we shouldn't have been involved in the Middle East. It really ticked them off. So let's pull out of the, pull out, or start pulling out of the Middle East, militarily speaking. But in exchange of us pulling out of the Middle East and Israel's business and Israel-Palestinian Israel conflict and all sorts of other sensitive issues that they should be taking care of on their own instead of Americans butting in, we should have said, okay, we'll pull out. But in exchange, 
we're going to have to get Al-Qaeda. We're going to have to get those people that, got, that killed 3,000 other people. We're going to have to get them and get them punished. And I am pretty sure if we gave them those exchanges, those people, those countries would have cooperated because what they wanted the most was U.S. getting out. So obviously, in exchange, if they just have to take care of Al-Qaeda, which obviously Muslim countries don't like because no one wants terrorists in their country, obviously. I mean, what kind of rational regime wants terrorists in their country <laughs> like they're gonna they cause chaos not just in america or europe or other places they cause chaos everywhere that's what terrorists do that's their job so in exchange if they say oh, okay we'll help you take out all kind of capture them get osama bin laden get him punished obviously they would have done that they would have cooperated with us but we kept pushing in ourselves, bulldozing through Iraq, Libya, Yemen, ISIS, and all, Afghanistan, all sorts of countries, meddling more. And, and the, as I said, that Muslims hate us meddling in their affairs. So what do you think they do? Yeah, they get more angry. So more terrorists come up. So more terror attacks are happening. And it's us in response, committing more intervention into those affairs. So more terrorists come up. And we have this very tragic cycle of terrorists and interventionism is continuously just being propped up and promoted. And in the next city, and that is the general capiche of why H.W. Bush, Clinton, Bush, and Obama were a total failure. And by the way, I'm not letting Trump entirely off the hook here because in terms of the middle, although I do approve of how he tried to renegotiate trade deals, limit immigration, and try while taking care of the domestic economic problems, such as income inequality and all sorts of problems, by fighting against Wall Street, Silicon Valley, big, um, big pharma, etc., etc., by trying to give more of the working class power and leverage in American politics overall politically and economically while he did fight he had the correct vision he also had a lot of flaws in his tax cuts he also he although he did provide tax cuts to the middle class he did give a lot to wall street which is very very unnecessary when they're already super duper rich they're already like which just doesn't make sense and he also moved the embassy to jerusalem he got rid of the ryan deal he militarized ukraine although he did try to talk to putin which was a good thing but he military he gave arms to Ukraine, which we should have obviously sided with Russia on because through our expansion of NATO, which we did under like human rights reasons or whatever, Russia obviously gets scared because Russia only has like a trillion in GDP and we have like twenty trillion. So when a twenty trillion country military alliance is coming closer and closer to your borders, let me tell you, you're not gonna be okay with that. Let me tell you, if China, some brings hundred thousand of their like several thousand of their troops on our US Mexico border by forming an alliance with Mexico and Canada. Do you think we'll be okay with that? No, we'll be scared too. Because we should be scared. Because that's a scary thing. Russia in response obviously scared. So we should have sided with Russia there, but he didn't do a good job of that. I'm not letting Trump entirely off the hook. But overall he had the correct vision. although he had some flaws here and there. So this is why the globalist vision failed. In the next segment, I just gave like a rough capiche of like all sorts of issues that reason Americanism is declining while the realists were right. And the realist solution would have made America a much better place right now. In the next segment, I'm going to go in detail by detail, starting from, because I talked a lot about H.W. Bush. I'm going to start detail by detail with these 
issues starting from Clinton to Bush to Obama, Trump, and Biden, one by one by one. And I'm going to discuss what we have missed and whom the system has benefited the most, especially. Not just the elites, also a country known as China has benefited a lot through this. Thank you very much. I hope to see you in the next episode.